from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, all you fine people. It is so great to have you on the Badass Counseling Show today. We are in studio taping a lightning round episode, and this is always fun. This is playtime. The counseling episodes are play as well, but this is super play because it's super fast. And I'm just taking uh, viewer slash listener questions on the fly here. I am live presently down here on Facebook, right down here on Instagram, and right here dead center on TikTok. Uh, before we get started, I want to greet our guests from around the world. We have guests from Curitiba, Brazil. Guests from Scotland in the house. We have Philly, Pennsylvania, as always, faithful city of Philly. We've got our lovely Aussies in the house, and of course, Dublin, Ireland, and Kerry, and County Cork, and all of the UK. Rob and Casey are joining me in studio. Rob, what say ye? I'm uh, always glad to be here, Sven. I am... Uh... I am your Pancho to your Cisco. Wow. Pancho and Cisco. All That's right. it. I like that. There we go. So, rock and roll hoochie coo. Uh, know that. Good to have you here. All right. Questions for me. First one How do I stop allowing him to come back? <laughs> that implies that he is forcing you against your will. What it really means, though, is he has the power to talk you into something or out of something. He has power over you to get you to do things you don't want to do. You said, how do I stop him, stop allowing him to come back? In other words, you don't want him back, and he keeps doing it. Then you push him away, and then he keeps coming back, and he sucks you back in, right? The problem is not him. The problem is inside of you. I'm not saying he's not a problem because if he weren't a problem, you'd want a relationship with him. No, the problem is inside of you. And likely and uh, likely, there's fear operating there. You've got to be able to name what the hell is the fear that's causing me to keep taking him back. Is it fear of being alone? Fear that he he won't like you anymore? Fear that you'll hurt his feelings? Either, either it's fear. Well, it is fear. And it could also be you're wanting something. The companionship, the sex, the love, the kind words, or you just, the wooing. Him wooing you feels good, but name, drill down, make a list of all the things that you want that you get out of it when he is with you or when he is pursuing you and then all, and then circle and determine what the biggest one is, what the biggest driver is that is causing you to keep taking him back. The thing you want most, then make a list of all the fears that I fear breaking off and not letting him back. I fear breaking off and walking away. What are the fears that you fear most? List them all and then list the biggest, hairiest, scariest one. And that is the reason. And then you ask the question, well, how do I stop? You face that fear and you ask yourself, if that fear comes to pass, if I walk away and I'm forced to be alone, will I be okay? Well, no, it'll hurt and I'll be sad and all these things, right. Right, and if you face those and allow yourself to grieve and you allow the sadness and you allow the hurt, will you be okay or will you die? Oh, well, no, Sven, I won't die. Okay, so you'll be okay. This is how we begin to face our fears, by naming, articulating what the worst ones are, facing them, and then uh, move forward. But we have to face those fears and we have to articulate what it is we're really wanting because it's not, it's not that you lack the ability to stop. It's that you don't want to look at what's really going on inside of you. Down here on Facebook, how to stop overthinking too much. I get myself and especially my own head in trouble. Yeah, uh, if you're overthinking, overthinking is usually a fear response. 
It's fear of pain, right? And it very often happens in childhood. In fact, that's almost exclusively where it starts. And what happens is, when is that some sort of pain happens? And when I've put myself out there, when I've done something, when I've expressed my opinion, when I've said what I really want, when I've said what my needs really are, you probably got your ass handed to you. You got put down, you got criticized, you got told you were stupid. You got the message inside of you that it wasn't safe to be who you are. You got the message inside of you that it's not safe out there, right? You're, you're being assailed, you're being criticized, you're being put down, you're being hurt, when you put yourself out there or when you make your decisions, when you go in the direction of your dreams and you get criticized for doing it and putting your own real self out there. And so what do we do? We start thinking. You start thinking before you open your mouth. Well, is this gonna get me hurt? Well, what if I phrased it this way? Then will they make fun of me then? And you start gaming out all of the scenarios. And as we get uh, more and more uh, versed in this, we game out all the scenarios to their logical conclusion or their illogical ends and then we ask ourselves which of those involves uh, the least amount of pain, or if they all involve pain, I think I'll just back out completely. And this is a person then who has difficulty making decisions. This is a person who's afraid of making decisions, afraid of taking any steps, afraid of going what they are after, afraid of letting their voice out so they keep their voice inside, afraid, afraid, afraid. Why? Because it always brings pain. So I'm gonna stay in my head thinking, thinking, thinking. And so you ask the question, you know, why am I doing it? You're doing it because you're afraid. How do I stop doing it? By facing your fears. Precisely as I was talking about a few minutes ago uh, with Brendy Lee about how to stop allowing him to come back. You have to face those fears. You have to articulate them and not just in your fucking head because then it's just more thinking. You have to get it out, get it on paper, start looking at it and going deeper. How does that make me feel? What's really going on inside of me? These are the critical questions of healing. And this is the shit I talk about in my book. There's a hole in my love cup. If you go in and do all the fucking work and get out all of those pains from your past and the bullshit messages you were taught about yourself, get all that pain out, then the overthinking reduces because overthinking is a function of fear slash anxiety. It's a fear of pain. Well, once you begin to face those fears, you're no longer needing to overthink because you can then begin to be your authentic self. All right, next question, fine people. How do I stop rescuing everyone in my life? Okay, you're rescuing everyone in your life and you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to stop that unless it wasn't fun anymore. Unless it wasn't getting you the Scooby snack. We rescue people, we save people, we help people because we're wanting something. We've been conditioned to believe that if I don't give you more and more and more love, you'll walk away or you won't love me or you won't like me. So we're purchasing love, the pearl of great price. We're giving this much and we're getting maybe a little bit of love in response because boy, I can go a long way on a little bit of love. And in my book, I talk about that, the relationship camel right? They can go a long distance on just a little bit of love, just like a camel can go a long distance on a little bit of water or fat in the hump, right? Okay. So you say, how do I stop rescuing everyone in my life? Well, how do you stop? Well, first of all, let me tell you why you stop. You stop because it doesn't feel good anymore and it's sucking you bone dry and you got no life energy left. How do you do it? By start rescuing yourself. Start learning the word no. And you're terrified of the word no, because you think people aren't going to love you if you say the word no which is why you keep rescuing them and helping them, moving mountains for them. But when it comes time that you bump into a mountain, they're not there moving mountains for you. And you wanna know why? Because they never had to before. You never conditioned them to believe that they have an obligation to you just as much as you feel obligated and love for them, right? And so what really has to happen in order for you to stop rescuing people is that you have to go inside and address what those fears are that, that cause you to keep giving more love to other people than you're giving to yourself. There's, it's fear. That seems to be the theme so far today is fear. We're terrified of being our authentic selves. We're terrified of saying no. 
And what is no? No, this doesn't feel good to me. No, it's not fair. No, I don't like what you're doing to me. No, you can't do that. Well, inside of the word no is the word I. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good to me. I don't want you to do this. I don't want to do that. In order to find your I, you have to find your no. And no is a standing up. You know, you guys have heard me say it before. People shout loudest when feeling heard least. Children shout loudest when feeling heard least. A no is a, I feel unheard. I feel unseen. I feel unwanted. I feel unloved. And that's your no rising up. That's your I rising up. That fear of saying no is because you're afraid of asserting yourself. Because when you put your I out there, your opinion, your feelings, your wants, your needs, your dreams out there, you got attacked, which is why people start overthinking. And that's why you start rescuing everyone else, hoping you'll get just a bit of love, little bit of love in return. So the way to heal that is go inside and, and look at the fears and begin to flush that shit out. How do you heal abandonment issues? Exact same stuff. It's the exact same stuff. You have to go inside. And again, this is why I wrote the book. This is why I did the DIY video courses uh, on my website to step you through all of this. This is why I do this free podcast twice a week. This is why Rob's here. We're trying to help people heal themselves. We're creating these tools, all right? And you have to go inside. So how do you do it? How do you heal abandonment issues? You go inside and determine into your past, when did the pains happen? When were you abandoned? And don't start with your first love when you were 20 years old. That's not when the abandonment happened. <laughs> it goes way back before that. What parent didn't protect you? perhaps from the other parent. What parent didn't defend you? Or whoever raised you, maybe it was a grandparent. Why did the grandparents not defend you from the parents or vice versa? Fear of being abandoned means fear of being alone as well. When have you felt alone? Did you grow up and your parents were working all the time so you were alone all the time and you felt like you didn't matter, you were no good, no one wanted you? It all goes back to there, people. You gotta go back there, way back there. It's two, four, six, 12, you have to go back there. All right, next question. Oh, here we go. This is a good one. I think we've, many of us have encountered this. What do you do with a man, quote, putting, there, I'm, it's not just me. For those of you watching on video, it's not just me doing air quotes. There are quotes, real quotes around the word trying. What do you do with a man trying but not doing? Huh. Trying but not doing. In other words, I don't want you to try. I want results. And you're saying, you're using uh, ing, trying, do ing, as in present tense, happening, and it's been happening. He's trying, but he's really not doing, which implies to me that you're saying he's holding back from doing something. There's something he's not doing. It, it, obviously, he's not doing, <laughs> but I mean, there's something specifically, and you've made it clear that you need more and so on and so forth. And so you ask, what do you do with a man who's trying but not doing? You endure it for as long as you want to endure it, and then when it no longer feels good or when you feel like this is bullshit, it hasn't changed and nothing's going to change, then you have your little come to Jesus talk and realize it's not going to change, and you walk away. And guess what's going to happen then? He's going to start doing, <laughs> or she. Uh, in all likelihood. Why? Because they're trying, and you put it in air quotes, so that means, means they're likely giving it lip service, but not actually doing uh, the changing. And so guess what's going to happen when, if you finally walk away? If you get so sick of it, if your pain sucks so much that you walk away, he'll change. And all of a sudden, he'll change. Literally, not just trying this time, he'll change, almost as if overnight. And you'll be like, well, fucking hell, he's finally listening to me. He's finally showing me his emotions. He's fi he finally wants to touch me or she finally this or she finally that, right? They're finally changed. It's like, oh my God, I'm going back. Finally, I'm getting what I want. 
Yeah. Don't be surprised if it doesn't last. In fact, I can, if Vegas were giving me odds, I would bet my left testicle it ain't gonna last. You wanna know why? Because they changed that fast. If it was so fucking hard, how did you change that fast? It's a fake, it's, it's a sales pitch. They're trying to get you back. But the thing that needs to concern you most is all of a sudden they're doing all the things you said. The thing that needs to concern you most about that equation is why now? I walk away from you and now all of a sudden, bingo, boingo, bongo, you've changed everything that I wanted you to be. Why now? Well, what that means is all those times you asked them to change in the past, they heard you. It's not that they were incapable. They fucking heard you. It registered and they chose not to. So that's why they're able to change right now. They don't even have to do an assessment of what the problem is. They already know what they have to do. They heard you before and they said, fuck off. To quote, quote Logan Roy, fuck off. I think we need to quote Yoda here too. Do or do not, there is no try. Well played, Rob. Well played. Who doesn't like Star Wars? Logan Roy's dead, by the way. Logan Roy is appearing, though, in subsequent episodes. And and one of the sons is saying fuck off a lot. So I've still got my fuck off uh, sequences there. Go ahead, Rob. I know you want to say something. It's nice when everybody in a TV show is unlikable. <laughs> it makes it so easy, but it's good suspense. So anyway, uh, yeah, if they're changing, they're going to change. So you say, what do you do with a man who's trying but not doing? Eventually, you're going to have to walk away because you're going to get so sick of it. Or you stay in it and just keep eating shit. Keep eating his statement. What he's really saying is, I don't care. I don't care about you. You're not important enough to change. Or maybe he's even trying to drive you away by not changing. But he wouldn't be trying and not doing so. The mere fact that he's giving it lip service says he wants to get the results from you. He wants you to keep pouring love into his love cup with the least amount of effort. And when you finally walk away, now he'll change. Well, why is he changing now? Because he's losing his love source. He wants you to come back, come back. I need you to pour more love into my love source. Remember how you used to give it to me for free and I didn't even have to do anything? I want that back. But I'm going to pretend like I'm really doing shit. In fact, I am going to do those things for as long as I have to till I can slowly slide back into being the little fuck turd that I was. Right. And so the real question, now we're at the nub, people. Now we're down there at the pearl inside the onion. <laughs> Now we're at it and it's this, don't go back based on whether or not they've changed. If you had somebody who cheated on you and then they're trying to get you back or whatever, or you know, somebody who's, you've been in a long relationship and now you're ready to leave and then they change, don't go back based on whether or not they have changed because some of them actually may have changed, except it takes a long time, especially with cheating because you got to drill down to what the real childhood issues are that are driving the cheating. And for those of you who don't think uh, uh, cheating is driven by childhood issues. You have no, I, no, I, no idea how naive you are. It's all that shit. But anyway, don't go back based on whether or not they have changed their actions. Don't go back based on that. Go back based on one thing and one thing only. Whether or not you have changed. Because if you haven't changed, you're not gonna call them out when they start to slide. When they start to drop the facade, if you haven't changed such that you're ready to call them out, if you haven't changed, 
their slide, their groovy slide back into that shit that they always were is going to be so effortless and you're going to let it go because you didn't toughen up because you didn't face your fear. You didn't face your fucking pain. You didn't go into your own shit. You didn't grieve the death of this relationship and the dream that went with it. You didn't do your shit. So if you haven't changed, they're not going to change because you're not going to hold them accountable. Just like you didn't up to this point because you're conditioning from your childhood that says you don't get to have boundaries. You don't get to matter. And so if you haven't changed to the point where you do matter and you do stand up for your voice and you do have boundaries and you do call out his shit and you don't back down when he asserts his power or she asserts her power over you, if you haven't changed, you're going to just go right back into the same old shit because you haven't changed. It doesn't matter if they've changed. All that matters is whether or not you've changed. And here's the thing though, once you change, you'll no longer tolerate shit from him or the next man or the next woman or the, the next person or what have you. All right. I feel good about that answer. All right. I feel really good about that answer. All right. I I remember, Rob, do you remember, uh, just brief aside here, people, we used to go up to Uncle Bob's cabin when I was a kid, and this would have been 60s and 70s, and there was a record player up there, and we'd spin, and there was one particular record that had a bunch of those really weird songs on it, May the Bird of Paradise Fly Up Your Nose, and I think it maybe had the Red Baron song with Snoopy and all these really culturally whatever songs. Do you remember an album like that? Well, there were those K-Tel compilation albums. It may have been that. All novelty songs. Yeah, I'm feeling like it was the original album that had May the Bird of Paradise Fly Up Your Nose on it. I don't know. That that album of that song was a single. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So it wasn't even an album. It was just a 45 or a 78 maybe. All right. All right. So back in action here, people. Sven, son of Erland, because that's my name, Erland, Sven Erlandson. Um, yes, that's what the Swedes did. Swedish Americans did. Just name you after your old man. Although we're not the only people, the Irish, the, the, um, in Hebrew, right? Ben, yeah. Israel, Ben, son of, yeah. son of, mm-hmm. yep, yep, or Bar, yep. right? And Daughter. Arabic also. Arabic also. All right. So we're not, uh, unique. But we're not real clever. We're just Sven, the son of Erland. All right. And what's interesting is I one of my uncles was named Erland Erlandson. That's how clever the Swedes are. Or Sven Svensson or John Johnson. Yeah. In fact, there was a song by that title. My name is Jan Janssen. I live in Wisconsin. I work in the lumberyard there. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's a little bit of Scandinavian American Americana. All right. The question, though, is that Midnight asks is my ex scheduled a birthday celebration for my son she did not tell me what's the motivation the motivation is simple generally there could be a few deviations uh your ex just wants to hurt you ex doesn't want you around this could go a couple of ways either the ex doesn't want you around because you're like a maniac and you would ruin the celebration in your ex's eyes there's that possibility the ex doesn't want you around your child Um, and in which case the motivation is either fear or hate, I'd bet, uh, they fear you harming the child. And I'm going to assume you're a good person here. You want to, here you are on a thread asking questions about like self-care and, and like mental health or, or, you know, soul health. You wouldn't be here if you weren't a person concerned about, you know, your, your life and trying to heal and be a good person and so forth. So I'm going to assume your motivation is good. Like I do with all my clients till they, Reveal otherwise. Um, my ex scheduled a birthday celebration for my son. She did not tell me. What's the motivation? Honestly, she's trying to hurt you. And she's fucking over your son as a way to hurt you. 
Because do you really think a son doesn't want his own father there? Do you really think a daughter doesn't want her own mother or father there? It, you know, of course. So she's hurting your son. And the son has every right to the father. It's not just the father has a right to the son. And if he, she, she better hope that her son, that I'm not his therapist someday. So I'll be like, wait, so your mom fucked you over? Fucked you over as a way to stick a dagger in your father's heart, as a way to hurt you? And the truth is, you guys, this happens so much in divorce and fucked up relationships is turning, uh, you know, the child against the parent and, uh, you know, dragging one of your children into court to say something against the other parent, even if it wasn't abuse or, or just all manner of shit. So in all likelihood, she's trying to hurt you. Um, and it sucks. And I'm sorry you have to go through that. I've been through it. It sucks. All right. Um, I understand the connection to my narcissist mom, but what are the steps to heal that wound? Uh, the, the steps to heal that wound are really the same stuff I've been saying. You have to go into your past. You have to identify the messages that were sent to you. You have to look at the fears, what the fears are that are driving you and have been driving you your entire life. You have to identify and look at and feel and flush out of you, not just in words, uh, spoken words, but uh, journaling, writing it down, and some of the other tools I talk about in my book. There's a hole in my love cup. You have to begin to uh, go into that and identify those messages and the fears and the pain and the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. Unless you are willing to go into it and really face it and allow it to wash out over you and flow out of you, it's going to stay locked up inside. Much more to come right after this short break. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at BadassCounseling.com. I am one of the lucky few who've had the privilege not only to read his books, but also to experience Sven face-to-face -face for countless one-on-one -on -one sessions. His intelligence, knowledge, and deep empathy have had a deep impact on me and the people I love. And I can say that he is amongst the most important people in my life for the last 10 plus years. I am thankful for you, badass Sven. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back for a continuation of the lightning round episode of the Badass Counseling Show. I'm Sven Erlinson. I'm joined in studio by KC in the booth and my master producer here, Rob. Rob, what do you want to say? I have to admit, uh, I was wrong about May the Bird of Paradise fully up your nose. It was a huge country hit back in 1965. It was on the charts for 18 weeks. It was the only only uh, one song that he had on the Hot 100, Who? however. Little Jimmy Dickens. Little Jimmy Dickens. Little Jimmy Dickens only reached number fifteen on the Hot 100, but it was a, it was a, a number one country single. That was a huge so, song. My apologies to you and Little Jimmy Dickens for getting that wrong. Well, and if you had told me that the first that the guy's name was Little Jimmy Dickens, I would have said it had to have been on the country charts, right? With a name like that. Well, yeah. That Little Dickens. Ah, that was a big song, man. In my childhood, all those fucking weird ass songs. That was a great song. All right. Thank you for the clearing up there, Rob. I admire your intellectual integrity. When we make a mistake, we own up to it. Right? We do. We do. I'm quite good at making mistakes. All right. All right. What's the next question for me, fine humans, fine people? Come on, lay it on me. Oh, gosh. 
Here's a fucking tough one. Listen to this. Stay with a narcissistic partner or move back in with toxic parents? A single mother with two-year-old. Well, so the question is, stay with the narcissistic partner or move back in with your toxic parents and you have a two-year-old? Well, uh, clearly, you obviously don't want to be with either one, implied in your sort of Sophie's choice of a question there. Questions would be this, where is the least amount of damage likely to happen uh, in the short term? And by short term, I mean long enough for you to get your own place. Neither of those is a permanent solution. Uh, both are sucking the life out of you and harming you. Both of those settings of staying with your narcissistic, par narcissistic partner or moving back in with your toxic parents. So which one is gonna cause you the least amount of pain short term, okay? And how long is it gonna take you to get to the point where you can get a place of your own with your two-year-old child? But actually the question that needs to precede that is where is your two-year-old child safest? Okay, let's start with that. Then we'll ask the questions of um, what's it, which one of those is gonna in, uh, involve the least amount of pain for you short-term? And are you ready to start uh, preparing your exit to find your own place? Because that's what needs to happen. You can't heal in either of those uh, settings, not fully. All right. Is it all right to let my son decide when to communicate with his dad? Is it all right to let my son decide when to communicate with his dad? which implies that the dad is completely out of the child's life. Or when the child is not on dad time, but is with you, uh, that dad maybe calls and doesn't want to communicate. Um, and that's all right if the child doesn't want to. But if the child, if the dad is literally not in his life at all, right? Because you're saying when to communicate with his dad, which implies he's not seeing him at other times. Um, then I would have to know what the reason is that the dad is not in the child's life to begin with because that sort of, in a way, answers its own question, potentially, though there are sort of where people get railroaded. Real, but that's the question I want to come to for you. In answering this question of, is it all right to let my son decide when to communicate with his dad, you're sort of implying that you're not sure if it's all right, which implies a part of you also wants to let him decide. But what I want to ask you is, how much of this question is you um, reveling in the fact that your son doesn't want to communicate with his dad. How much of you is in this equation? You want to, wanting to stick it to his dad. Maybe it's zero, but you're paying me to ask the hard questions. And the hard question is, how much is this you fucking with your ex through your son? And again, maybe it's 0%, but you've got to look at that and be honest with the equation. Because it, as parents, as exes, if you're not being fucking honest about your culpability uh, in a situation then you're just lying and you're using the child to get your own fucking needs met and that's not okay, all right? But beyond that, there are other variables that play into that uh, decision. All right, wow, that was a gripping question because you then copy and pasted it one, two, three, four times. I hope that helped. And if not, I apologize, did my best on that one, but sometimes you just need more information. Um, oh, so the question is, can you talk about brutal honesty versus radical honesty? Sure, I'll give it to you this way. I'm not a big fan of brutal anything. I'm really not. I don't believe it's really most necessary most of the time. And if someone's being brutal, generally it's because they want to. They're just being a dick. It's very seldom necessary, particularly with brutal honesty. What brutal honesty usually is, is someone walking around saying, this is what's wrong with you. This is what's wrong with you. That's what's wrong with you, by the way. Oh, and this is else is wrong with you. It's just someone going around pointing the finger saying what's wrong with everyone else. Now there are times when you got to stand up for yourself. And that requires, you know, some hard honesty where you're pointing out what's wrong with someone else. But 
people who say, oh, I'm just brutally honest. I'm just brutally honest. More often than not, they're just dicks. No, you just don't want to fucking be accountable or let any focus of negativity be put on you. So you're going to point out what's wrong with everyone else. Congratulations, fuckhead. Nobody likes you because you're just pointing out what's wrong with everyone else. Whereas, again, allowing for the fact that there are those times where you have to be honest and call out someone else's, but the amount of times that's necessary, particularly in equitable relationships, is uh, reduced, but you do have to call those out. So I'm not denying that, but radical honesty is much more powerful and is a much greater harbinger of uh, good love ahead. It's a much greater indicator of a healthy relationship. Radical honesty is when I can show you not what's wrong with you, but what's wrong with me, where I can reveal my belly to you, where I can show my throat to you, where I can show you my dreams, where I can tell you how I really feel, where I can say to you, that doesn't feel good. Please don't do that. That hurts. That's radical honesty. When I'm sharing my feelings, my dreams, my aspirations, my wants, my needs, that's radical honesty and that's far scarier. Why? Because I'm being vulnerable. Well, vulnerability cultivates trust, is cultivated by and further cultivates trust. And trust is at the essence. Vulnerability, trust are at the essence of great relationships, even more so than love. Trust engenders love, all right? Love can engender trust, but it also can blind to when you should be distrustful. But trust is such a foundational thing for relationships. And so radical honesty, when you trust, you open up and you reveal yourself. And, and also by revealing yourself, by being radically honest and showing about yourself, that creates a greater bond, a greater sense of trust in the relationship. All right, next question. There's sort of an exclamation point on my point. But don't open up to those who can't. Well, and the truth is you won't know if they can't until you do open up a little bit, right? And that's why in the beginning of relationships, most people, you share a little bit. You share a little bit. You open up, show a little bit of yourself, and then see how they respond. One of two, well, two of two things are really necessary. Whether they do them all at the same time um, <clears throat> is, is not the point. But one, do they receive it with a good heart? Do they receive it and give it respect? When you share something about yourself, a want, a need, a hurt feeling, an aspiration, do they share something back? That's the second thing. Do they share a vulnerability of their own as well? And do they handle yours with, with care? Understand, and this is important. I talk about this in the book, this notion of sacred ground. And it's based on an old biblical story of Moses on the side of the mountain. He sees the burning bush. And the first thing, you know, God from the burning bush, whether you believe in God or not, isn't the point. The point is it's a great fucking story. And it makes a point regarding sacred ground. The first thing that God speaks to Moses is, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. This is sacred ground, all right? Now, whether you believe in God, that's, that's between you and your God or not. The point is that the, the gods, the universe, God, your soul is speaking that when, they're, when you're revealing your soul stuff, that's sacred ground. Take off your shoes, i.e. tread gently. So when you reveal a piece of yourself, does your mate does the person you're interested tread gently or do they treat it like oh you're just reading the grocery list right you've got to be able to stop on a dime you've got to be able to slow yourself down when someone is sharing their inner stuff and out of courtesy if you're going to share your inner stuff it's probably wise to give the other person a heads up and say i'm going to share something a bit vulnerable here so that gives them you know if they're not used to that it gives them you know sort of a heads up and they can slow down um but you in order to have a relationship you have to at least try to open up and see if you can trust the person. And just for the record, there's only one surefire way to know whether or not you can trust someone. Do you wanna know what it is? There's only one way, and that is 
to trust them, to trust them, and to trust them again. And trust is something we have to keep reproving. We have to keep re-earning. You can't know in advance whether or not somebody can be trusted. You can only trust them. All righty, next question. This is a, I like this question. I really like this question. How do you leave a relationship that has no connection nor love after five years? You know what's fascinating about that? That there are a lot of people listening to this podcast and here live in this live taping. There are a lot of people who would say, how do you leave a relationship that has no connection nor love after five years? <laughs> Easily. <laughs> it's when it's involved, for a lot of people, it's when it's got those strings and it's got those the love and all the shared experiences and the passion that it's hardest to walk away, right? Do you know that every shared experience, every time you make love, every time you do something together or laugh together, it's like one more cord binding you to this other person. And so the process of breaking up is, is the cutting of those cords one by one by one, which comes with a grieving process, right? Because it's not only you're, you're sort of losing that experience, you're losing that person, but it's the death of the dream that went with all of that, okay? So it's, it's, for some people, it'd be like, how do, you re, how do you leave a relationship that has no connection or love after five years? A lot of people would be like, oh, fuck, I'll take that any day. That'd be easy. But what does it say that Christian Vega is asking this question? It implies it's not easy, which then forces us to ask ourselves, well, what could be hard about leaving a relationship where there's no connection or love? What could be hard? Well, now let's spin that one out briefly. One, it could be that Christian Vega is saying, I don't feel a connection or love for you know him, but he feels it for me. And so I feel guilty. I feel bad that I don't feel what he feels and I don't want to hurt his feelings. Or it could be that neither of them have connection or love for each other. But then it would raise the question, well, why would it be so hard? Because I don't want to look like the bad guy breaking it off. I don't want to uh, hurt this other person's feelings. I don't want to, or potentially, if there's no connection or love after five years, that says that one or possibly two people don't have connection to their own feelings. That it's taken five years of living in not connection to my own feelings. If I don't have connection and love with you, it's because I've cut off my own needs for connection and love. I've cut off my own needs, my own love, my own longing. To, I've cut off my own feelings. Right? And if you've cut off your own feelings, then what might scare you about leaving a relationship where there's no connection, no love, is that you're actually making a decision based on your own feelings. There's a reason that relationship doesn't have connection or feelings. It's because you've both cut off your connections. You've both cut off your feelings, your ability to feel love. And that happened probably long before this relationship. And it was modeled long before this relationship. As I talk about in my book, you know, all the problems that happen in a marriage predate that marriage, predate that relationship. That goes back to childhood shit. So it could very well be that the reason it's hard for you to break it off is because it forces you to make a decision based on your feelings, or in this case, lack of feelings, which is itself a feeling. Lethargy, emptiness, those are feelings. And if you've cut your feelings off, that means you've probably never based made decisions based on feelings to begin with. So this is virgin territory. This is scary fucking ground to trust your own feelings. And yet our feelings are our GPS. The brain is just the fucking motor. The, the feelings are the GPS, they're the gas moline. Okay, next question. All right. Trust your feelings, Luke. Luke, trust your feelings. Double Starbucks reference from 
Star Wars. Not Star, what did somebody I say? Starbucks? Needs, somebody needs caffeine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I need caffeine at, at into the evening. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll be awake till fucking Saturday, um, which would just be a reason to have another cocktail to help me go to sleep. Right. I'm not encouraging uh, such things. All right. Why are men so afraid to open up in love? They seem so tight, so armored, hard to understand. If you're sweet, they complain you're mothering them. Okay. You're starting to fight, though, Gabriella saying that it's men because the truth is in my practice i get just as many if not more women with precisely that same thing now i was born in the 60s rob was born before me a year or two and uh we are well conscious of uh gender roles in the united states in particular western society whatever uh for men men be tough don't open up feelings don't matter you you know don't be a little pussy be a boy boys don't cry all that crap so it's there i'm not denying that okay but i'm saying it's not it's not uh unique to men women get the message a in homes where it's like you want to cry i'll give you something to cry about young lady or where it's a home where they were taught that their feelings don't matter where they're not allowed to let their feelings out and so they shut down their feelings so they may still be a woman but they're terrified to open up and to love. And we, that's sort of been one of the themes we've been talking about tonight, this notion of opening up and revealing yourself and love. But I'm gonna take your question as straight. There's my argument. Hey, it's, it's a lot of women too. Uh, why are they so afraid to open up and love? Well, there are so many reasons there. One, they've been taught that feelings are bad. They've been taught that you're weak. And again, this goes for women. Uh, weak if you show feelings, but also some guys are afraid to open up because when they've opened up in relationships, it gets, maybe it gets thrown back in their face uh, in the next fight, or maybe, and again, this is true of women too, uh, or maybe, it, like I said, thrown back in the next fight, or maybe I open up about my feelings and then that just becomes a springboard for you to go back and talk about your feelings. Some people are in those relationships. Some people are in those relationships with siblings or friends. Or sure, I share my feelings, but then you just start talking about you again. You just make it about you and how that makes you feel or what you're really thinking or feeling. So it's not like you're really creating safe space for your boyfriend or your husband or the man's uh, feelings or the woman's. Again, this can be women too. I think I've now qualified about five times. That's enough. So we'll just stick with the men. So wouldn't you be afraid to open up if your feelings were minimized by your partner or if you were talked down to or if you were treated like a, you know, a little baby or something, it's, it's hard to give love to a man and get him to open up, but also honor his feelings and not get caught up in my own feelings. That's hard for anyone to get, you know, to allow my feelings to get in the way when I'm listening to someone else's. But uh, that's my uh, gentle riff on that question. Next question. Let's kick this one around a little bit. If you don't show your feelings, it's harder to get hurt. Eh, wrong, wrong. That is a short-term answer. Oh, in the short term, you may not get hurt because you're not revealing yourself. But try this one on for size, all right? Try this one on for size. You say, if you don't show your feelings, it's hard to get hurt. So I'm not gonna show my feelings. I'm gonna hide behind these walls. Can you see me? Like that one character that used to be on Home Improvement, you know, that whatever his name was, Winston Simpson something, and he hid behind the walls, right? Okay, I'm gonna hide behind my walls and not show my feelings. But then you meet some really nice guy, all right? Or you, you meet guys and, you know, really lovely people. And they, they're knocking on your wall saying, hey, show me who you really are. And you're like, oh, I really like this guy. But if I show him who I really am or my real feelings or my real wants or my real aspirations, if I, if I open up the walls and come out or come out from behind the walls, oh, he won't like it. I'm sure of it. And then he'll leave me. So we hide behind the walls. 
because then I won't get left, get abandoned. I won't get betrayed. I won't get put down for who I am. I won't get laughed at. I won't get mocked. So I'm going to stay behind these walls. And they knock and they knock and they knock on those walls. It's like, no, 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 I can't come out. It's not safe. It's not safe because I got to wait till it's just perfect. I got to wait till it's just perfect where I won't get hurt at all. And that's where I talk about in a couple of my books, what I call the myth of the pain-free relationship. I'm still waiting for that relationship where I won't get hurt at all. No, that doesn't fucking exist. All that exists is contrition and forgiveness. The notion that any sort of relationship, parent, child, boss, subordinate, coworker, friend, lover, that you're not going to have pain is just dumb. Of course, there's going to be pain. As my father, who was clergyman for 65 years, used to say, um, anytime we live in community, whether it be two people or two, two million people, there's always going to be the bumping of elbows and the bruising of ribs. So, you, But you stay behind your walls thinking, I'm going to wait for that pain for a relationship. I'm not going to open up even. And this guy keeps knocking. Paul keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. And eventually, and you keep saying, no, I can't come out. I can't come out. I'll show you this surface level. I won't reveal my real self. Like you're saying, Miss Perry, if you don't show your real feelings, if you don't show your feelings, it's harder to get hurt, right? So then... And that's why you don't want to come out from behind the walls. But then eventually, Paul gets sick of knocking, just like every other guy before there, because he can't connect with you, and he walks away. The very eventuality you feared most, you just created. You feared being left if you showed who you really are. You feared the pain of being abandoned. You feared the pain of being cheated on. You feared the pain of this, the, the slight, the slander, the criticism, the critique. You feared all of that, so you stayed hidden. But eventually, the person gets tired of knocking or the relationship becomes so unfulfilling that the pain takes a different form. The pain of them leaving, the pain of being alone, which is what you feared in the first place, is now happening, but within the context of the relationship. You're in a relationship and you're still alone. So this notion, if you don't show your feelings, it's hard to get hurt, is total crap. It's so myopic. It's so short-sighted. Long-range vision is someone who's been through that shit. And it's like when you don't show your feelings, when you don't have a relationship where two people feel safe showing their feelings, it's massive amount of pain of a different stripe. All right. Next question. Why are you going on about women when she asked about men? Technically, I threw the caveat in there that it can be true of both cases. And then I answered about men. Need to listen a little more closely there. All right. Um, because my, the truth is, is women can be just as locked down emotionally as men. And I don't buy the cultural notion that it's all men or mostly men. I, I just don't buy that. I just don't buy that. Being in this business 30 years, counseling people, um, I see it just as much among women. And I know that right now in my listening audience and my viewing audience, I have literally tens of thousands of women saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, it's true. All right, true of both genders. Thank you, Farmer Bean. All right, next question. Lay it on me. Here we go. Down to uh, Instagram sends over this question. How do you wait? Wait is in air quotes for someone to be ready and stay hopeful without wallowing and stopping your life completely. Trying to give the space needed, but my heart hurts to see them in pain. Okay, so it sounds like you're waiting for someone to be ready to love you again, sounds like, and stay hopeful without uh, wallowing or stopping your life completely. Um, how do you do it? So that implies you wanna keep waiting for this person uh, who needs space. You said trying to give them the space needed. So they've asked for space. You still want them and they've pulled away from you. And you're asking, well, how do I wait um, for someone to be ready? Someone is working you. Someone's working you. They're saying, I'm going to go do this over here. Would you just stay here and wait for me? I get it. We hear it a lot. I personally wouldn't anymore. I would have when I was in my 20s or maybe even in my 30s. But now in my 50s, no. No. And you want to know why? 
It's just like, fuck off. If you don't know what you want, and if you don't know that you want me, I don't want you. Really. I mean, waiting and to the point where you're fearful of wallowing or maybe are wallowing or stopping your life, that those are even on the table, says it's been going on for a while and it's not comfortable anymore. So I'm telling you, me personally, I wouldn't wait at all. Somebody says that to me, it's like, hey, it's been great. Thank you so much. I wish you the only best, only the very best. But if what you see today isn't something that sparks your heart, it's not right for us. But I'm going to answer your question as it lays, okay, as it lies. I always screw up that verb. How do you wait for someone to be ready and stay hopeful without wallowing and stopping your life completely? You do simply this. It's not that you figure out how to wait. What you do is give yourself permission to leave when the time is right. And so my question to you is, Amy, do you give yourself permission to leave if it no longer feels good waiting? Do you? Because if you give yourself permission to leave and you know that you can leave right this second, then your waiting becomes optional, contingent upon how you feel. But right now you're saying sort of making it contingent upon them saying, wait for me and I'll come back. Like in the movies, oh, wait for me. I'll, I'll wait for you. If, if someone is saying, wait for me, you're waiting based on their expectation, hope, want that you'll wait. But what if you were to base it on whether or not it feels good to you? And what if you were to just say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to wait as long as it feels good to me. And once it no longer feels good, I'm going to walk. I'm going to give myself that permission. And the truth is you have that permission. Now, all of a sudden, it's not hard to wait anymore until it's time to go. I'm going to wait and wait. Nope, this sucks. I got to go. So it's you're inverting the equation from, you know, basically how do I wait to how do you go? Do you actually give yourself permission to go? All right, I'm going to take one more question and then we are going to call it a night, fine humans, because it's nighty night time and Sven needs a sleepy sleep because I have clients in the morning. All right, what if you like someone but you don't feel ready for a relationship? Okay, my first question to you would be, if we were in person, I would say, what are you most afraid of? In getting into a relationship, what are you most afraid of? Because if you don't feel like you're ready, there's nothing wrong with that. But that just screams to me. That just screams that you're afraid of something happening. And so if, and the truth is, that's an admission that you're not ready. <laughs> and, and what's the fear? Fear of getting hurt again? Fear that I don't want to let go of my ex? What's the fear that makes you feel you're not ready? What do you fear happening if you get into this relationship? Well, the truth is you're not ready until you purge that fear. Then you're more ready, but you gotta look at, you gotta name what that fear is. Is it the fear that you might get hurt? Fear of hurting someone if you get near them. You think so little of yourself that I'll hurt someone else. What's the fear of driving the behavior that's making you feel like you're not ready? You need to go into that, identify it, flush it out, write it down, write even more. Where is this coming from? Where did I pick this up? this fear and so forth. And so that's that. You know, I I gotta just take one more here. Sorry, but I just have to take one more. This person asks, says to another person on this thread, you're not, I promise. Men are unhealed monsters. Okay, well, sorry, no. <laughs> there are unhealed monsters of every gender and non-gender. There are unhealed monsters everywhere, and every single one of us has some unhealed monsters in us. Unhealed monster in us, every single one of us, myself included, all right? And so just throwing out generalities like that does not further the conversation, people. It does not further healing for anyone. 
And furthermore, even if it helps you heal today, what the hell are you going to do if you're straight and you want a relation? If you're a woman and you want a relationship with a man, or if you're gay and you're a man and you want a relationship with a man, and and we just say no, all men are unhealed monsters. Great, I'm fucked. I guess I'll never have a relationship because you're implying that I'm. It's only going to be pain and misery in the future. Those sorts of questions really don't fucking help when we throw out such broad generality fucking bombs saying. All men are, or all women are bitches, or all non-binaries are stupid, or whatever stupid shit like that. That doesn't further the conversation, people. It doesn't further your healing. You're hindering yourself because you're needing a you're needing a, a blame. You're needing to conjure up hate in order to heal yourself, and that doesn't help. They're not all that way. All of that being said, you guys have the best questions, and I love you. I really do. For all of you tuning in in my... Um, Global audience from Brisbane to Boise, from San Diego, the big contingent from San Diego tonight, uh, to Alberta, from County Cork to Jayburg, South Africa. It's been so great having you in the house. Thank you so much for joining this lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass night. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hold up. 